From Chopsticks Alley, I'm Zach Anderson. These are our stories. It's Sunday morning, and you're hungry, but you don't feel like cooking. As a result, the only logical solution is to buy some donuts. If you live in the Northeast, you're going to Dunkin'. If you're in the South, Krispy Kreme. But if you live in California, you're most likely going to one of the thousands of mom-and-pop shops that occupy this niche in California's economy. Even more interesting is that many of these donut shops are owned by Cambodian Americans, mostly first and second generation. To understand why this is the case, we have to recognize that there are three sides of the story. Side one begins during World War II. During the war, the Los Angeles area played a pivotal role in establishing American air dominance. In the air were our Marine Corps fighters, then our Army flyers, and finally our fighting Navy, all working in complete unity and concentrating relentlessly and successfully upon the... Lockheed Aircraft, Vega Aircraft, North American Aviation, Northrop Aircraft, Kaiser Steel, all had production plants in the greater LA area. Working in most of these plants were women, the legendary Rosie the Rivers. All the day long, where the rain or shine, she's a part of the assembly line. She's making history, working for victory, Rosie the Rivers. Now off California, it's really welcome home. Thousands of young men are coming home through Los Angeles from the Pacific Theater, and many of them decide to stay. As a result of the influx of men to spaces with an already large population of young women, you have the baby boom the time to concentrate on getting acquainted with this new member of the family and between 1946 and 1955 40 million babies were born california doubled in population with over 10 million residents life could be a dream life could be a dream many of them moved to the suburbs which begin to define the los angeles area as a whole there's the San Fernando Valley in the north, the Imperial Valley in the east, and Orange County in the south. The post-war economy is incredibly kind to suburban Californians, and it strengthens this mythology of the entire state being a dreamland. What were once luxuries became household necessities, televisions, refrigerators, washer machines, and a second car. It's during this time that multi-car households become more prominent, one for father and one for the boomer who by the 60s is in their teens. 41,000 mile network of our most important roads. Most of these roads will be four, six, even eight lane expressways constructed for through traffic. With so many cards on the road, the government invests in interstate systems to streamline travel, which births modern car culture in California. The 
car becomes a symbol of individual expression and wealth, but perhaps even more important, the car represents independence. It's not just a means of getting from one place to another, it's a destination in of itself. With the youth culture now on wheels, there is an expectation that everything else catches up. So, burger joints start offering drive-through and drive-in ordering, places where you don't even need to leave the car. Original Tommy's, In-N-Out, McDonald's. They are all born in California. But where do donuts fit into all of this? That's where Side 2 begins. April 30th, 1975, Saigon falls to the North Vietnamese, ending the Vietnam War. Crowds of Americans and other foreigners lined up at installations around Saigon waiting for buses was being That same year, Phnom Penh, the capital city of Cambodia, falls to the communist Khmer Rouge, triggering the Cambodian genocide. Disillusioned because of the killings and because of the way they destroyed our Buddhist religion. During the Khmer Rouge's reign, around 3 million Cambodians were killed. Specifically targeted were intellectuals and academics, artists, religious leaders, and ethnic groups like Vietnamese and Chinese Cambodians, like Ted Noi. Noi flees for the United States the same year and settles in Los Angeles. During this time, he started working as a night attendant at a gas station. One day, a co-worker of Noi's came in with donuts from a nearby shop. It's his first time eating a donut, and he likes it, like a lot. The next day, Noi visits the donut shop and offers to buy it for $2,000. They turn him down, and he makes the same offer for a Winchell's Donuts, who also pass, but they offer to enroll him in a management training program. Noi manages a Winchell's branch in Orange County for about a year and saves his wages until he is able to buy his own shop in La Habra. Today, the Cambodian community and its shops dominate the donut market. When Noi first started working for Winchell's, there were over 1,000 locations in the western U.S., most of them in California. Today in California, there are an estimated 2,400 Cambodian donut shops. In comparison, there are only 120 Winchell's donuts left. So why did this happen? How did thousands of small immigrant-owned businesses beat giant national chains? That's where Site 3 comes into play. At his height, Noi owned 32 donut shops in the greater Los Angeles area. As a result, his family is unable to operate all of them by themselves. Instead of hiring and looking for employees with experience in the industry... In the past 10 years, nearly 115,000 Cambodians have left their homeland to come to this country. The Noi family sponsors incoming Cambodians fleeing the Khmer Rouge. ...to a totally new culture is never easy. But some of the refugees are getting a head start. They hire them as employees, then they teach them their business practices and recipes. With these newly acquired skills, Noi's employees open their own donut shops, which they staff with family and friends that they themselves sponsor to resettle in America, and the cycle continues. The first donut shop owners finance their shops with a combination of equal parts hard work and frugality. People were working 12-hour shifts seven days a week, and some were living in the back of their shops. There was one owner whose advertising budget allowed for one rubber stamp, which she used to put the name and address of her shop on every single box. Their frugality also led to the creation of an icon. Ever wonder why donuts are 
were sold in pink boxes. The story goes that all the new donut shops were looking for a cheap alternative to the standard white boxes that most shops used. A Pico Rivera-based supplier, Wesco, had some extra pink cardboard in their warehouse, and the rest is history. Once a solid number of community members established their own economic stability, another popular way to finance a donut shop was used. They're called Tung Tians, and they become important parts of not only the Cambodian-American community, but a lot of other immigrant communities. To explain what they do is Chopsticks Alley Editor-in-Chief, Trami Kron. So, Trami, tell me how a tongtine works. So, in the Vietnamese culture, we call it Jai Hoi. So, how it works is this. What I saw growing up with my mom is she and her girlfriends get together once a month to Jai Hoi. And it's a way for these women to save money and or borrow money from each other at a very low interest rate. So, how it would work is this. You would gather a group of 12 women or 12 people. And why 12 is because they're 12 months in a year. Year. So the idea is to save money for one year. Every month they would gather at each other's house, do a potluck or cook or eat. And let's say the pot of money is $1,200. Then everyone brings $100 to the party to put into the pot. The person who is the owner or the leader of this year's pot usually is the first or the last person to take the money and there's it's interest-free. So basically, they would come in, take $1,200, go home. Everyone already put in 100 bucks that month, they go home interest-free. So they continue this all the way to the last month. And the idea is to collectively be able to lend each other money for fun, based on trust, camaraderie, and a very low interest loan. And this is how a lot of Vietnamese businesses also start, right? So maybe it's not a hundred bucks a month. It might be a thousand dollars a month. It can go up as high as $15,000 a month. Um, so it's really up to the intention of the group and how they want to play. And it's usually by invitation. So it's usually people you know, people you trust. And if it's somebody referring someone into the group, then that person who is referring them is sort of responsible for them as well. So it's really just our way of lending each other money. And I think when people first come to America, it's the way they were able to purchase or rent open a restaurant, a store. Donut shop. Yeah, donut shop, right? To, to help each other. Tell us about what kind of economic impact this has on immigrant communities as a whole. I think that banks are reluctant to lend money to these people who just came over, don't speak English, don't have collateral, don't understand the system. So the fact that this community has to pull together and rely on each other, it's not uncommon. It still happens today when you think about it. Why do communities these tend to open businesses together in the same complex in the same area it's the same reason it's that support that moral support emotional support and or and opportunities that is not given to them not handed to them by outsiders it's not because they don't want it it's just not done so why is this important why does it matter that we know this for one cambodian donut shops are an example of the quintessential american dream not only did they become business owners they became integral parts of their community. Despite dietary stereotypes, Californians eat a lot of donuts, more than 10 million of them a year. A couple boxes can feed all the volunteers of a church jogathon or make the morning before a field trip just a little more special. You can become the most popular person at the office or indulge on cheat day with your work buddies. 
Cambodian Americans are people forced from their homeland by international pressures. They had to leave the only place they knew and forged new lives in a country that frankly has a history of not being welcoming to newcomers. But despite barriers of language and economic class, Ted Noy and thousands like him found a way to not only support themselves, but become important parts of the places they live. That's our story. Until next week, I'm Zach Anderson. For more content like this, visit our website at chopsticksalley.com. You can also check out our nonprofit website, chopsticksalley.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chopsticksalley and chopsticksalleyart. Have a topic you'd like for us to discuss? Send us an email at chopsticksalley at gmail.com.